Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. Hey, Kurt. Hey, Pep. I Good am. to be back in the recording studio with you. Yes. It's great to be back. You know, mm. um, I think we talked about this a little bit on the uh, one of the last episodes, you know, at some point, we just need to come on and turn the turn the mics on right away before we even say hello and just let it roll, um, because our our time that we get to spend together prior to this with Amy is just, uh, I you know it's honestly it's 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 experiencing a lot of what you're teaching it, it's living it out, but I'm also uh, very protective of that time too, and yeah. uh, glad that we get to have a little private time before we. We turn the lights on. Yeah, yeah. it's precious. It it's, really is. Uh, I, I mean, Phyllis uh, knows. I mean, <laughs> she knows how much I look forward to Friday mornings. Yeah, recording and hanging out and I, really it, being known and being cared for mm-hmm. and yeah. Just, yeah, I just really, I, I I I feel completely buoyed by it. You know, just completely yeah. like lifted and. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So today so we thank are. Thank you, too. Yeah. yeah, of course. Today we are working on season four. I'm sorry. <laughs> I should start over. We are working on <laughs> episode four of season six. And today we're going to be talking about right and wrong, being and knowing, and being and knowing and being. <laughs> da 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 da. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think probably. To get us started, Kurt, maybe you could spend a little bit of time and just sort of, you know, touch base a little bit on a little bit of a review on on how we got here, yeah. what we've talked about so far in these first three episodes. Right. Well, we're, the, the the season title is The Beauty of Wisdom, and we're really focusing on this question of like, what does it mean for us to be people of wisdom and acknowledging right from the beginning that we don't really know anybody who wouldn't want to be a person of wisdom and so far, we've talked about how wisdom is something that we become. It's not just something that we acquire. It's something that we become. We, we become people who make wise choices, who think wisely, who act wisely. And in the, the last two episodes, we've talked about this, the, the process of awareness that we, we're, we're, looking, we're kind of correlating wisdom with these each of the domains of integration that we've talked about from interpersonal neurobiology and how that's all sitting on the hard deck of scripture and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And that when we become, we, we, we want to talk about wisdom begins with our being aware. And then that whole notion of consciousness, well, am I awake, alert, and attuned? Um, I even know that my consciousness, though, is not the same as wisdom. Just because I am aware, the fact that I'm aware in and of itself is not to be wise. And then in our last episode, we talked about the wisdom of the body, that we sense things, we feel things in the body, that we need to pay attention to what our body is telling us. And it's also easy for us to mistake wisdom for whatever I sense in my body and therefore whatever it is that I want to do with my body. 
whether that's to you know speak to somebody harshly, I do that with my body, with my tone of voice, or whether I want to look at pornography or I want to be sexually wandering into, t- I, I might want to do a whole range of different things with my body. My body might feel certain things, but just because I sense something or want to do something in my body in and of itself does not mean that that's wisdom. And so we want to recognize and remind ourselves that all of this, my awareness, that first domain, am I aware, am I awake, alert, and attuned, and am I aware of my body, that all of that takes place in what we would call the real world. That this, this world that we occupy and the world that we people of faith believe that we're living in, this context is one in which wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. This is Proverbs chapter 3. This is Proverbs chapter 8. It's throughout the Proverbs. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, meaning I'm going to submit what I'm aware of. I'm going to submit my body to to ask the question, what does it mean for me to be aware of these things in the presence of God and in the words that he is speaking to me? So even my awareness emerges in the context of others who are helping me to figure things out, right? When newborns come into the world, right? They're sensing things, imaging things, they're becoming increasingly conscious, but they're doing so in a world that other people occupy and are going to help them figure it out. I never acquire wisdom by myself. I am a necessary agent in that acquisition, but I'm not sufficient, I have to be actively seeking wisdom. I have to be curious about it, longing for it. I have to take action toward it. But I'm not going to figure all that out by myself. I need other people. This, what we might call, you know, borrowing from our language of a triune God, we would say that there are triune requisites that we have for becoming people of wisdom. One is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. As that Spirit... In, you know, revealing to us the words and body of Jesus. So the spirit, this triune God, the spirit is one element of that. The second element of that are the scriptures that we've, we've talked about so far. And then there is the community in which we are embedded. These three features then help us. We, we need to see those as resources. And we might even say that part of that community includes the created order that God has provided for us including these elements of neuroscience that we're learning about. And in this way of seeking out and using, paying attention to the wisdom of the mechanics of God's world, the neuroscience of God's world, in the context of the spirit, the scripture, and the body of Jesus, we become people of beauty and goodness. That's what wisdom is about. That's demonstrated by our living out, being the people of the fruit of the spirit, that we live out the Sermon on the Mount, It's also our moving at God's pace. This is an important thing we've we've said in other seasons that we are rhythmic people, right? We have a heart rate, we have a pulmonary rate, we have a coming and going in our bodies and our gait. There are a whole range of ways that we are rhythmic people and God moves at a certain rhythm. I find that God is often moving at a rhythm that's not quite as fast as I want him to move, especially when it comes... I mean... Dude, I mean, the length of time that it takes for me to acquire wisdom, like, I don't know why I didn't just get like an intervitus bolus of this when I was like, I don't know, 18. Like, could you just 
hook me up to the IV. I don't think the 18-year-old brain could handle that amount of wisdom. Oh, my gracious. <laughs> I know. No. So I, I, so we're, we're, I wish God would do this more quickly, but I think in God's pace, it means he's doing this thoroughly. He's going to take his time because he wants us to become people of wisdom. I don't, he doesn't just want us to have it. Yeah, I mean, God is so much, I mean, to me, it's, he's a God that's so much about the process. He, he doesn't want to cut, there's right. no shortcuts. There's unfortunately at times, you know, yeah. it's, it, it's, it, 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 it's so much about the process and there's so much wisdom in the process, in this particular mm-hmm. process of trying to mm-hmm. gain wisdom yeah. and yeah. 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 Well, you know, it's it's interesting. We, we would also say that this means you know, if we're moving at God's pace, it gives us an opportunity to what I, what I would say that we're we're living eternally. And what I mean by that, I'm I'm thinking about Ecclesiastes chapter three, where we read that all things are made beautiful in their time, for God has placed eternity in humankind's heart. And that, that word eternity from a Hebrew standpoint is not just a measurement of time, as we may have said here before. It is a measurement, it is a description of the quality of life that God lives. It is a measurement of depth. It is a measurement of the intensity of beauty, of goodness, of kindness, of love, joy, peace, patience. That he also is unwilling to foist upon us. You know, I, I, I'd love to be a person who's only ever kind, who's only ever patient. And God's like, I'm all about that. So let's give you plenty of opportunity to practice becoming that. <laughs> like, I'm looking for the magic right. wand. I, I'm, I'm not looking for two-a-day practices to have to get better at hitting my receiver on the out pattern. You pray for patience. On the out route. It, you know, doesn't it mean long-suffering? Oh. I mean, it's, it's oh. <laughs> why would we pray for patience? I, you know, so I don't. I don't pray for patience anymore. I don't pray for any of this stuff anymore. It's, 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 it's too, it's too likely that God will take me seriously. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's like, but Kurt, you asked. Right. Yeah. And so this whole notion of living eternally, living like God lives, living as a embodied, like a body of wisdom, as we are, as we are becoming, just t- takes this time for us to be practicing this over and over and over again. And so it's, it's that wisdom isn't just then a thing. It's a way in which we live. And I'm only able to do this contingently. I'm only able to do this because I'm looking to Jesus. I'm looking to my community. I'm looking to the scriptures. I am going to acquire it by being in difficult places that require me to, like, you know, I'm being places where I don't know what to do necessarily or I do know what to do, and it's really hard to do, so I'm going to have to do it with the help of others. And in this way, we would say, like, at, at the end of the day, this whole thing of, like, I want to become wise is really not just a function of, like, what can I do? It's really a question of who am I going to trust? Wisdom is primarily a feature of who am I trusting to help me discern what is true about who I am, what is true about the world, not just what am I deciding is true about the world. This is Adam and Eve's issue, right? They decide they're going to take and decide what is right and wrong, uh, as opposed they're, they're going to trust the serpent 
rather than trusting God. It's not just even, it's not just that the woman decided all by herself. She decided to trust something, someone else rather than trusting God. So wisdom is a function of, at one level, asking the question, who are the people that I'm going to trust to help me understand what is true about the world? And then when it comes to interpersonal neurobiology, you know, they, they can help us figure out the mechanics, but they don't decide, the mechanics don't decide what the meaning is of what wisdom is. I can know that I'm sensing my anxiety in my chest, but that does not tell me what should I then do mm. about that. And even what I want to do, I might say, well, what I want to do is yell at you or yell at my kid. That's what I really want to do. But there might be yet another part of me that wants something different even beyond that. I I want to parent well. There's the part of me that wants to parent well and wants to be gentle and wants in my response. But then there's the part of me that just wants to, you know, yell at my kid. So who is going to help me discern, like, well, which of the proper responses is wise? Right. So who are we listening to that tells us who we are? So that's just a, it's a, just a, a recap of what, we're, as we're paying attention to wisdom. And today in particular, we're then moving to this next domain of how we become people of wisdom. And it's the wisdom of the horizontal domain of the mind. We talk about the right and left side of the brain. And we're just going to do a real quick run through, just a review of how that happens. First of all, we remember that When children are born, the right hemisphere of the brain tends to develop more quickly. The functions that it shows up, that it it reveals, tend to happen more quickly. The left side of the brain comes online at about 18 to 24 months of age. That's when it starts to pick up speed and join in that process. And we also, you know, Ian McGilchrist has this beautiful book, uh, The Master and His Emissary, in which he talks about the fact that, you know, the right and the left brain, there's actually... At birth, you know, the right and left hemispheres are both capable of doing the same things. They can do those things in the beginning. But at some point, you just begin to use certain parts of your brains in different ways, and they become kind of practiced into doing those things. So my language centers become practiced into doing certain things in my left brain, and my right brain has all these other things that it will start to do. And we start with this right hemisphere that you know, is the place where we have sensations and images and emotion, nonverbal cues, holistic mental activity. We walk into a room and the room just feels right, or I feel tension in the room. That, that sensation of what's happening here and now, that's largely happening, coming out of my right hemisphere. A sense of timelessness. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in this podcast and having a great time, and I stop paying attention to time. Right. Is my this in this present moment is like a right hemisphere is really kind of like more present and prominent in its activity in that moment, and then the right hemisphere also has a an, an other important element. This what we call an internal map of the body. When we sense things, literally in our gut, when I sense something in my chest, those things, those sensations are all kind of running up the spinal cord and they're running through the vagus nerve. They're running to my right hemisphere. And then we get to the left brain that starts to come online, about 18 to 24 months of age, where we have, I start to think about things. I have words that come to my mind. I put those words together and they start to be linear in my thinking. See, spot, run. (laughs) I I don't know where that came from, although I do, it came from that book. Harry, Dick, and Jane. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so then, uh, hopefully, my linear progression becomes logical, right? I, I hope that, that this is how we get logical thinking, this sense of like, we start to put things together and we start to make meaning. And we also include in that meaning, literal meaning, this sense of like, um, could you please bring me three apples, right? Or could you, could you, um, uh, you know, make me some applesauce? <laughs> well, we know you can do that. That's not, that's not code for something else. <laughs> a literal rending, right. rendering of, could you bring me some applesauce? It's like, yeah, could you please bring me the applesauce out of the refrigerator? But then what we find is that, like, the way the brain works, it's, we say it's bottom to top and right to left, this way in which I sense things in my body, it runs up to my right hemisphere where I have, it mixes with my sensations and images and feelings and all the other stuff that's going on. And then it crosses the corpus callosum, it crosses that strip of tissue that connects these two halves. And then I am making sense of what I sense. Mm. Now, this is, this is a sequence, but it's not a hierarchy necessarily. It's not like, well, one should be more important than the other. You know, my literal thinking is more important than my code thinking or my felt sense of things. It's not that they're more, one's more important than the other. It is that they were designed to work contingently together. They depend on one another because first I sense things and then I make sense of what I've just sensed, right? I see someone coming at me, I see their intention, and I read that, and I feel that, their intention. Is their intention one of joy, or is their intention one of distress or anger? And I'm very quickly making sense of that. I'm very quickly telling a story about that. And the story that I tell itself takes on life that circles back around and becomes something that I now sense. And so, so I'm thinking of that, I'm thinking of the, you know, the infamous... Evening, walking down the hallway in the hotel with you, mm -hmm. with me trying to stay upright mm -hmm. because we're laughing so hard. And it's like you have this moment of humor that, you know, catches you and then you start to think about it and the thinking about it doubles back sure. and only accentuates what's happening. And I can't get down the hallway because this thing just, it just becomes like this vortex. Right, right that I can't get out of the middle of. And this is what we do with joyful moments. It's also what we do with frightening moments. Yeah. How does wisdom come out of that space? We're going to get to that in just a moment. This whole notion then that we sense, especially like emotion, like we have, and, and this is where it, it becomes tricky and important. Like I can have certain emotion that we talk about this thing called primary emotion that we sense in our body that uh, we are often sensing like in our bodies, our bodies are picking up on things without us consciously being aware that it's happening. It's kind of like you and I are sitting here in our chairs and as we're talking, we're not really paying attention to what we feel on our back or on our legs as we're sitting. We're not paying attention to that. We could if we wanted to, but we're not. But it doesn't mean that our brain isn't registering those sensations. It is, but we're turning our attention to something else. So there's a lot of emotional content that we might actually be sensing, but that we're not actually paying attention to. But when we start to, we discover, oh, I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm joyful. These are things that we call categorical emotions. And what's so interesting is the primary emotion 
under certain circumstances, you and I might be in the same circumstance and have two very different responses to it in that same moment. But the way we express them, like every, we, we would say that by the time we get out and express something like my anger, my sadness, my joy, everybody in the world, this categorical emotion, everybody in the world, well, by the time we express it and know it, we all know what it's like to be angry, whether I live here, whether I live in mm. Sudan. I know what anger, we know what it means that we are angry. But it might get to us in different ways. And this is what is important because for example, we can have things that we sense and image and feel, all that right hemispheric activity. But what is happening for me in a circumstance might be different than what's happening for you in that same circumstance. And if I'm not paying attention to you, I might start to assume things that you are feeling or thinking or a whole, I'm, I'm going to start to imagine things. I'm making sense of what I'm sensing but I might not actually be correct, right? If, if my wife speaks to me in a certain tone, I'm gonna, I might tell a story, I might, I'm making sense of that with my left brain, but the sense that I'm making may not actually be what's happening for her. So Kurt, do you remember when you were at Hope Heals Camp and they had the thing with the white pom-poms. Dude, oh my gosh. You know, the all of the volunteers line up. They, they line the side of the road, both sides of the road. And for every family that comes in, there's all this cheering, waving of pom-poms, signs, balloons, you name it. It's, I mean, the, the, the kids that are coming in have never really had anything like this. You know, to me, that's just a picture of being seen and and allowing them to feel known in that moment. I want to share a story about how this impacted one dad. He he wrote this into Hope Heals Camp after, just after attending the Hope Heals Camp. We have a five-year-old nonverbal son on the autism spectrum. In the world of disability, it's the little things that are the big things. The coffee was awesome. The community and stories that you're helping to bring together are so, so needed. But it was the line of volunteers with white pom-poms that has gotten me choked up about a half a dozen times in the last couple hours. Hmm. My sweet baby boy is five. He is the joy of our lives. And he has never been invited to a birthday party. Hmm. He has never kicked a soccer ball the wrong way on the field and been cheered for it. We have barely even had birthday parties for him the last couple of years. But a line of strangers with pom-poms tonight, it took everything in me to hold it together. All I could do was look down at him as we walked through that line and try to avoid being a sobbing mess. For the rest of my life, it will be a moment I treasure. You know, Pep, that's just an amazingly beautiful story. And if you didn't know it already, Hope Heals Camp is a week-long retreat and year-round community offering rest, resources, and relationships to families experiencing disability. And we're very excited to be sponsoring five families to camp this summer. With your help, your tax-deductible donation will go directly to scholarshiping these families. So you can click the link in the show notes or go to Hope Heals. 
dot com forward slash BKP. That's H-O-P-E-H-E-A-L-S dot com forward slash BKP and donate. Any amount is helpful. And together we can help make a big difference. Brene Brown talks about how she she says the story she's the story that I'm she she'll go to somebody and she'll say the story that I'm telling myself right now is mm-hmm. on a situation that, you know, she's telling herself a story that's not the reality of what's going on at all in that other person. But the only way that, she, that you actually know is if you go to them and have the conversation about it, as opposed to just continuing to create these scenarios in your mind that, you know, right. of what's happening. Right. And so this, this brings us to this notion of, what, of, of context, and we, we bring this up because it's, it's particularly true. When we talked earlier, we've said at the, at the beginning episodes that one of the things that we're doing here is that we are leaning heavily on the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And we like to say, that, again, borrowing from the folks at the Bible Project. Which, by the way, Nell and I have really started to get into, and we're doing... Have you liked it? Yeah, yeah. We're, so we started sort of an evening ritual where we're sitting down and we're doing one of the Bible studies. And yeah, it's... It's really great. Yeah. It's so easy to engage in, and the teachings are, are really good, and you get to hear different perspectives from different people, and it's, yeah, it's, it's been great. It's been great. Yeah. Yeah. So they talk about the Bible being, the scriptures are a God-human endeavor. It is a, it is a divine human endeavor that is an ancient Jewish messianic, meditative wisdom literature. All those words are important. And one of the primary things that we think about when we think about ancient and Jewish, we're really talking about context. That when we come to the Bible, if we're not, you know, it's like if you decided that you were going to go to uh, Chad, the country of Chad, and you just thought, like, I'm just going to go there and live like I live in Northern Virginia. I think, like, that would be not not only would it be rude, but it would be like silly. Right. I would want to know everything I could possibly know about everything about Chad as I entered into it. Mm-hmm. And this is what we need to know about the the scriptures, right? Wisdom is about knowing context. It is about understanding. If I'm going to seek wisdom from the scriptures, I can't just read it through the lens of a Westerner, my individualistic self and. Right, it's very and it's very much about knowing what you're bringing into it, the perspectives that you have from your modern day life living of what what you're bringing into it and what actually who it was written for right. and to and yeah, all those things all those are things. so important because as it turns out, our posture towards scripture being like that is the same thing that we have to have in our posture toward other human beings. And in this way, the scriptures themselves, how they were written, how they were curated, how they were designed to be read, is the exact same. Like, it's a mirror image of, like, who we are as human beings. Like, we are designed to be read in our context. Even that English word context, the word, the the first half, con, is from the Latin together or with. I'm going to be with. Text. The The word text in Latin is to weave. It's we are with the weaving. Now, it's, it's, so I'm present to the creation of something, which is important. It's, it's a movement. Like, 
It's not static. So even that person that I want to understand, the wisdom that I want to acquire, it's not like, oh, I now know, I, I know what it is and that's what it is forever and ever, amen. Like I have to recognize there is a weaving process that is going on and I want to understand you in that space as it is now. Tomorrow, next week, it will be different. I mean, who among us who's married doesn't know what this is like? Right. That like, oh, we... I, I, you know, who knows? Like my 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 wife's like, oh my gosh! Like, wh- wh- like, which part of you is, is? Who am I talking to now? Which part? I thought I was. I I thought I was. I thought I was talking to like the adult Kurt. But uh, can I see your driver's license? Yeah. I, she, you know, she's. You get, you're, getting card, you're getting carded in your own marriage. It's right. That's right. Yeah. So it, it, there's this movement that's taking place. And in this way, the scriptures are also reflections of this horizontal domain of wisdom, this sensing and making sense, this divine, human, ancient Jewish messianic literature. It's not static. It's living. And the other thing that it does is that the scriptures push against my need to know with certainty. And dude, like, I want to know with certainty. I just want to know it. I am not interested in wondering about things. I want to know. And if I can't know for sure, then I'm going to do everything I can to be absolutely certain, which is very different than learning to trust. As we were talking about earlier. I'm going to have to trust what I'm sensing, and I'm going to have to trust what I'm sensing in someone else. And the sense that I'm making with my logical, linear processing, which is necessary because I can't live or operate in the world if I can't logically make sense of things, but it's all grounded on this question of who am I trusting. Wisdom leads us to know not with certainty, but with confidence in someone who will be faithful to me no matter what happens. And we gain this practice of strengthening and becoming more resilient in our capacity to trust by our interactions with the scriptures, with our bo- with, with the body of Jesus, with God himself. And all of those things require great willingness for us to take risk and be intimate, yeah. which is not easy for us to do. Not easy for us to do. Yeah. It almost feels like it's against wisdom, you, you know? Right. Like it goes, it's, it's contrary to wisdom to, to be willing and jump into that vulnerable pool. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Well, I think about, and that's, that's just right, right, right. But jumping into the vulnerable pool, you know, by naming what's happening in the room. I just want to say that, like, so to your point about Brene Brown's comment that, you know, here's the story that's going, this is the story that I'm telling myself. Yeah. In that sense, we are saying that we're really bringing, uh, we we like to say in our work that we're, we're moving from the imagination to the incarnation. Yes. What's actually happening between you and me right now, I'm going to name that and make it incarnate. So that we're not leaving it to other, I'm not, I, I'm not leaving you to have to imagine what's actually going on in my head. Yeah. You know, I think I shared a story with you once before. I don't know if I shared it on the podcast or, or not, but I had, it was a, I had just sort of started to develop some new friendships. This was out in California years ago. It was people that I was working with 
in the voiceover community. And we were, we had a softball team hmm. and there was one guy who I was working with quite a lot and I was very fond of him. Witty, funny, really fun to be around, smart, really good at, at, at his job. But it was a new relationship. We were just kind of getting to, hmm. getting to know one another. And, and, um, we had, we, we had a party after a softball game where we all got together at somebody's house and had like a picnic kind of thing. And there were a bunch of guys kind of razzing each other a, a little bit. And I said something and completely a, a joking manner, thinking that everybody was in on the joke in the room. And evidently he wasn't. <laughs> and I <laughs> didn't know. And <laughs> the next day he called me up. <laughs> and he said, dude, something along the lines of, hey, you know, um, I probably wouldn't be making this call if I didn't like you. Mm. He said, mm. but you s- said something last night that really bothered me. And mm. I, I, I want to clear the air. Mm. To which we were able to, we were able to have a great conversation. And we worked together for years and became really good friends. And it never would have happened had he just kept telling the story that he was telling himself about what, mm, mm, uh, about mm, a conversation mm. that we had. And, right. um, and I just had so much, just the fact that he came to me like that just, just gave me so much more respect for him. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, again, it's at, at some level, he's actually in his logical mind, he's th- his thinking mind. He is actually paying attention to what he's sensing. Mm-hmm. Feel like he's paying, he's being curious Across the across the hemispheres, if you will, mm-hmm. he's being curious about those things, and in so doing, is not just seeking wisdom by you know clearing things up with you, but he is being yeah. wisdom yeah. in that moment. And you can imagine that if he if he leads with I, but I'm you know I, I'm doing this because I like you, that it creates space yeah for you to say oh I'm I'm I'm. I'm I'm not listening to a guy who's coming to me, you know, with his Glock. I'm listening yeah. to a guy who's got feelings, but he's leading with what he wants. Mm-hmm. He's leading, telling that I, I want this relationship. And and I think in many respects, so you have that moment, and then you see that moment leads to the possibility of creating beauty and goodness yeah. that is at a depth that you didn't have even before that little wrinkle. Exactly right. And that's the other thing that we would say that this this uh, wisdom is about creating beauty and goodness. It is it right. It, we said as we said a couple episodes ago, it was in the beginning with God, and wisdom is what God calls forth that begins the creative process on the first page of the Bible. That wisdom is an act of creating things mm. of beauty and goodness at all times, and of course, what we know can happen is that trauma and shame tend to leave us either dominantly out of either in one hemisphere or another, depending upon how that trauma works itself out with us. And then I become more concerned with just being whoever I am. I could be more concerned about being right than being loving. So I'm going to, my, I, I know that I'm going to be certain you said this, you said that, that's what you meant. Right. I'm just, that's my left hemisphere just running with things as opposed to being curious about things. Or maybe my right hemisphere is in charge and I'm just kind of like a loose cannon. I'm like, I'm not thinking logically at all. I'm just expressing my emotion all over creation. Just being whoever I want to be. 
my friend Jeff Dudiak, who's a professor of philosophy at the King's University in Edmonton, he's uh, he, he's done a lot of not just academic work, but really thoughtful uh, work. He's, he's working on a book project now about you know, how he's tracking this arc of how we have come over the course of the last 500 years to move from a in the West to move from a people of being a people of wisdom that valued wisdom to a people who valued knowledge and now have become a people who value information and that information on its own, on its own does nothing to create beauty and goodness in the world. That if you're going to do that in a sustainable fashion, you must be pursuing wisdom. And so we end up moving, when we don't address our trauma or our shame, we move further away from ourselves and from each other. Makes sense. And uh, this, this leads us into um, this, the, I just want to talk about this uh, art, artistic uh, yeah. notion for the day. Um, uh, I have a, a friend, uh, his name is Jeff Taylor, and he is a renowned accordionist and keyboardist. He's actually a multi-instrumentalist. He plays the mandolin. He plays the guitar. Mm-hmm. He, he, he plays lots of different things. Uh, he plays these like uh, it's not a piccolo. What's the what's the thing that's not a piccolo? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know Jeff's going to hear this and he's going to think Kurt. I, we were just together last week. Anyway, Jeff is just a masterful musician, and uh, he is part of. And I, w- I was with him at a retreat. He and a couple of other guys at a retreat this past last weekend and and he's a member of this group called the time jumpers which is this group of guys that group not just guys people right. men and women who got together in Nashville and are just playing stuff together and they are off the chain yeah. a lot of it is bluegrass but it's not only that it's country yeah old time stuff it's great uh, you 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 sent a link to, to me this week and I spent some time uh listening to it and uh, it's it's fantastic stuff, you know. Vince Gill's involved, and yeah, it's just yeah. It's, a, it's a great, great. And they and they never know what they're going to play. This is the thing. This is the thing, right? They don't know what they're going to play, but they are looking and reading mm-hmm. what the other people. And they often even talk about how on stages they like smaller stages because they can be literally physically in closer proximity to one another. Mm-hmm. And they can look and sense each other's movements that much more. Like when they've played at the Ryman, which is a big stage, and they will like scoop, they will bunch together. They don't spread out like they could. And this artistic expression to me represents like these are people who are paying attention to mm-hmm. what they're sensing. They're making sense by paying attention. They're bringing their conscious awareness into this place where they're paying attention to what they're sensing, and then they are going to do what they need to do in response contingently to what the next person beside them, what they're doing often. And to watch these guys, you know, they get up, they just go, and, like, at some point, somebody starts to enter into a solo. And, like, who knows who's going to be next? They might they might call it out like that all at once. And so I, my invitation is for us to, you know, take a look, the time jumpers, mm-hmm. uh, take a look at that group, um, and you know, especially uh, Jeff is their accordionist, and so you'll, I mean, he'll stand out, but he's, he's just fantastic. But it, it, is, uh, it is a way for us to, it highlights this, this horizontal domain of how we have all these things that we sense, but then we are going to make sense. We're going to do something with that in a way, though, that is creating beauty and goodness mm-hmm. in that moment. And so for our application this week, we would say that we want to invite you each day 
to pay attention to a separate function of either the right or the left hemisphere of the brain. I want you to notice. Turn your conscious domain of your mind toward one of those functions. Notice your response to each or any of those functions that we've listed here and what you tend to do in response as a result. And then I want you to just try this little exercise. Just imagine being present with Jesus. And you and Jesus together being curious about the meaning you're giving to whatever you're experiencing. And the wisdom that does or doesn't follow in its wake. In those moments where you're sensing the urge in your chest that you want to yell at your kid. You want to you know, look at something that's not something that would be good for you to be looking at. You know that there's something you need to do, a conversation you need to have, and you just, you just turn away from it. But instead of being condemning of yourself, I want just pay attention to what you're sensing and how you're making sense of that and what you're doing in response and being curious about it instead of being condemning. And hopefully that's going to be the next step in this progression of becoming people of wisdom. I love that, Kurt. Yeah. Thank you. I'll report in. Right on. Yeah. yeah. I and, will too. And thanks for the time jumpers, you know, making me aware yeah. of that. I was not aware of that that was happening. And it's it's really, really amazing stuff. And I just love this, the, the collaboration that they have with one another and communication that, you know, you can't really see necessarily mm. or mm. or hear. I mean, you can hear it in the music, obviously, but like, you know, knowing what what to do next and knowing yeah. how to work with one another in those situations is beautiful. So thank you. Right on. All right. Uh, until next time. Till uh, next time, brother. Yeah. And if you are watching on the YouTube channel, stick around because Amy's going to be joining us here in just a second. Love you, Kurt. All right, man. Love you too. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.